may be seated as we walk through Psalm 80 together. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. The stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Gracious God, you gave your Son into the hands of sinful men who killed him. Forgive us when we reject your unfailing love and grant us the fullness of your salvation through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Good morning. Our Old Testament reading today is found in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done on it? What, when I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for a justice, and but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading for today is found in Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. 
Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, nor that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel. <clears throat> From Matthew's gospel in the 21st chapter. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, Well, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds, because they held him to be a prophet. This is the gospel of our Lord. May be seated. I invite our young. <laughs> Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together into your house to hear your word and receive your gifts. We pray that you let us rest during this time in your promises, which you have given us the faith to trust in and believe in, to know that you have done all things needful for us to be forgiven and to have life. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you know my background with food and wine, so on a day where two of the readings deal with vineyards, it's really hard to not preach on those two. But it's 
not what we're focusing on in our sermon series right now. We're looking at Philippians. And so we'll be walking through that Philippians text with Paul, who is writing this letter to this church at Philippi, right? And rejoicing with them over what God has done for them in Jesus. And this one particular section has always been an interesting one to me. And it started to make me think a little bit about other things in history, or my history anyway, growing up on cartoons. Um, because it was during an era before computers, and one of the visuals that was always so great in the cartoons is when you would have some cartoon character dutifully and wonderfully working on a typed, the, there's a typewriter thing, it looks like a keyboard that paper sticks, it's like a typewriter and a printer all smashed into one really amazing. Anyway, they'd be typing along and the papers would come up and you'd see a big stack of papers over on the side and then inevitably a window would open and all those papers would blow right out the window and be gone and leave the author with nothing. Nothing there at all to hold on to. I mean, imagine trying to go out into the street and gather all those things back together and bring them back together. It's just not going to work. And as the years went on, I started to watch in people's lives and even in some of my own life where it may possibly start to build something up and work on something so much that our whole identity gets wrapped up in that thing. I mean, watch people do it with their careers very often to where everything else starts to fade away as they focus in so intently on either climbing a corporate ladder or making a name for themselves or getting a particular salary or vision or dream or so focused on one particular thing that everything else in life starts to fade. And what ends up being scary is when something comes out and knocks that out from underneath them. Maybe you've walked through that or not. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be job-centered either. See, as Paul's writing to folks in the church, he's writing to believers, he's writing to Christians, and he's starting to tell them, be aware, be aware of those who are focusing you in so much on following a particular law or way of life that your whole identity gets wrapped up in what you do for you as opposed to what God has done for you in Christ. And it's a good word for the church. I mean, it's a good word to hear that when we start to take our eyes off of what God has done for us in Jesus and start to focus it so strongly on our own actions, whether it's make sure that we're always at church at a particular time all the time and then that's what's going to make me a Christian. No, it's a good thing. And many of these actions are good things. But if our whole identity and our whole faith is in the trust and work of what we do with our hands, then we're missing what Christ has done for us. That's what Paul's starting to write to the folks. He says, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evildoers, watch out for the mutilators, the ones who are, who are of the circumcision party, right? The ones who are saying, look, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but to really be able to get all the benefits, you've got to become Jewish first. And in order to become Jewish first, you've got to do all the things that God commanded all of the Jews way back when to do so that you would be in a right place to be able to receive Jesus. And Paul's saying, watch out for that. Because that's not what you need to do, right? He says, look, if, if they're going to point you to acts of the flesh, 
or to trust in the works of hands? And they're going to hand to you a resume that says here, here's everything. Look, this is who we are, the ones as teachers. He goes, I've got more, right? I remember who Paul was as Saul. Remember, his name changed after that road to Damascus event. And beforehand, he lays out his whole resume for everybody. And what's kind of a curious thing to think on, another term I heard this week, which is kind of interesting, he lays out a resume of successes for his prior life that he now sees as a resume of failures. Okay. Would you ever consider doing that, writing a resume to somewhere where you're going to apply and not only turn in a resume of all of your history of successes and work history, but also everywhere you failed? I'd give a pretty interesting picture, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, here's the jobs that I had where I got fired. Here's the jobs that I had where I didn't turn things in on time. Here's the bad grades I got in school. Here's the tests I didn't do well on in school. Here's a place where everything fell apart. It'd be an interesting resume to turn in. might be longer than the first one. <laughs> but Paul lays out for him, and he goes, look, you want proof? He goes, I have all people have reason to trust in the flesh well beyond all these other guys. He says, look, I was born circumcised on the eighth day to the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, right? The Pharisees were the ones who really held up the moral law. Because as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, he was the model for the Pharisees and the believers in following the letter of God's law to a T. And when he would count himself blameless, right? It's an interesting thing to think about. He's, he's not saying he was sinless, but he followed the law so well in his doing of the things that were expected of the Israelites to do that he would see blameless. So before people, he would say, I did everything perfectly. Before God, he'd say, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I also followed the law of sacrifice perfectly. So not only did he follow the law of the things to do, he also followed the laws of the sacrifices to do perfectly. And so he was following everything perfectly and doing everything perfectly as far as what was expected by that pharisaical sect of Judaism. He said, that's who I was. Those are my successes. There's my novel and memoirs that are absolutely written and perfect and in order page by page with no spelling mistakes or errors whatsoever. And then on the road to Damascus, God opened up the window. All those papers blew right out. See, Paul's identity was absolutely wrapped up in that. But then when all that got thrown out the window, he had nothing left. He had nothing left of his identity. He had no idea where to go. I mean, he was left with absolutely nothing. To bring it into a modern sense, before autosave on computers, have you ever worked on something for so long and then the battery on the computer runs out or mysteriously doesn't save? And you've got to try to recollect everything from memory to start writing it and get that back out now on a shorter time frame? <sighs> That's tough. But now imagine it a little bit differently. Working so hard on something for weeks on end, and you have a friend review it. And they say, oh, well, it would have made a whole lot more sense if you just did it this way. And they're right. 
then what do you do? Do you scrap the whole thing and start over, right? I mean, there's so many things that we pour so much into and then find out that they're worth nothing. They're lost. And that's what Paul counts his former life, as loss. Loss for the gain of Christ. Because just Jesus' presence in the middle of Paul's life, as horrendously upheaving as that would be, to completely discredit and discount everything that went on before, Paul says, in the loss of all of that, that's gain. It's gain for simply knowing Jesus, for simply knowing that his identity is no longer in all the works of his own hands, but his identity is completely wrapped up in this one who knocked him off his horse, blinded his eyes for three days, took him to another house to be baptized, and then sent him out on a mission with God's word in his mouth to speak to people, to say, look, here's what grace looks like. Here's what steadfast love looks like. And that's what he writes to the folks at, the, at Philippi, and he says, it's good for me to write this, and it's safe for you. It's a safeguard for you. It's a word that will keep you. It's a steadfast word that will keep you and hold you in this grace that God has given you in Jesus. I mean, Paul counts all of those own works of his hands, his whole resume that he had worked on and built up and written, his whole identity, he counts as the English very kindly translates as rubbish. All right, when you guys think of rubbish, what, banana peels, some paper? Yeah, the Greek's a little different. Uh, it's more like dung, excrement. It's a little deeper than rubbish. Paul says, that's, that's what my former life was worth, is to be thrown out in a disgusting pile for the sake of Christ. Because in Jesus, his whole identity was shifted, changed, completely rewritten. So that life then would be in Christ. So that the loss of all those things would be the gain of eternity. It would be the gain of the steadfast love of God. It would be the gain of joy in the midst of things that should not be joyful. It would be the gain of peace in the midst of chaos. It would be the gain of everything that does not come from within ourselves, but everything that comes from Christ's hands alone. That's what's putting a smile on Paul's face. That's the encouragement he's writing to the church at Philippi. That's the joy that we hear in Paul's words as he writes to them. And then we get to hear them as words written to us as he continues to rejoice. And he says, this is what you have in Jesus. Don't throw that away to try and go do all the works on your own to prove to God this, you know, self-made identity. He says, your identity is completely wrapped up in the Son of God who died for you and rose for you and has given you absolutely everything. So you don't have to start writing your resume anymore. Christ has already written it. So when that day comes that you take your last breath or Jesus comes back, you don't have to go in and say, here's a resume of all the things I've done. Look at what I've saved up. Look at all the things I've done, though. There's talk in the Gospels about how Jesus will ask those things, but nonetheless, as he gets to you, dear Christian, he's going to say, I know what you've done because I did it for you. And I worked through you to do it for others. 
I used your hands, your mouth, to speak my word into their ears. I used your hands to show what grace looks like and what mercy looks like. And I used your lips to proclaim truth and forgiveness. And I know exactly what you've done because I've done it through you and for you. What an amazing thing. It means on that day of judgment, you stand up and you can walk up to Jesus and just be silent and say, thank you. My identity rests in you, Lord. You did it all for me. And he's going to say, that's right. Come on in, good and faithful servant. Come look and see what it looks like in the kingdom of heaven. Come sit at the wedding feast of the Lamb where all the most beautiful vineyards have provided the most beautiful wine and all the acreage of agriculture and livestock and everything else is just absolutely perfect. Come see what perfect looks like. And in our broken world, when it's hard to see what perfect looks like, we can look to Christ. Because as much as we may try to write our own identity and write our own resumes and write our own visual of who we are, at some point in life, that all gets thrown out of whack. I've walked that. I know you've walked that, where everything you've built up at some point absolutely gets tossed god changes the picture and sometimes those things need to get tossed to refocus our eyes back on jesus so be it for folks that haven't had to go through that praise be to god that's a beautiful thing to be able to consistently rest in jesus's promise of life that's faith the faith is not something we conjure up the faith is something god given Faith is belief and trust in God's promises. That's what faith is. As Paul writes to other churches and he says, we do not have a blind faith or a faith that is just wishful thinking or anything along those lines, but we have hope and faith, a sure and certain belief in a promise given by God that what he has done is true and effective. That's what he's shown us in Jesus. God's action and love his heart shown to us in real time in a real place through the man jesus christ who is also the son of god completely divine completely human dying for our sins to rise again to new life to rewrite your identity and that's who you are in christ a forgiven and loved child of god that satan and nothing can strip from you Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us in Jesus. And we pray that as Paul encourages, or as Paul encouraged the uh, Christians in Philippi to trust in Jesus' work done for us, that you would also put our hearts in that place to continue to trust in the work that Christ has done and continues to do for us, that our sins are forgiven on his account, that our life is grounded in eternity now because of what he has done and that you count us as your children, as your family, that you have brought us into your presence. On a day like today, when you come into our presence, Lord, we pray that you would continue to work by your spirit and let us trust in all that you continue to do for us in your steadfast love and grace and mercy for us, shown to us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.